1: Healer. Fury.
2: You are listening to the Steelerfury.com podcast. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers Show, uh, America's longest-running Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Brad Shada-Ben, also known as Accidental Zen on Twitter, occasionally known as Will Massasak, whenever I'm in trouble. And with me uh, to share in my pain uh, for the Steelers' 2019 season, uh, as always, the two best cohorts that no money can buy. Uh, he's somewhere, I think he's somewhere in western Pennsylvania right now. His name is Steel Perch. He's with us. How are you, sir? I am doing well. Uh, and also with us from the lovely uh, greater Georgia area. Uh, his name is FC. He's with us. How are you, sir?
3: I am very well. I am preparing for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party.
2: <laughs> I bet you are. That's this weekend, I guess, yeah?
3: Tomorrow afternoon.
2: Nice. Uh, does the drinking start today? Typically, the drinking
3: actually started on Tuesday.
2: So help me out with—is that in Jacksonville? Is that where it is? This. It yeah, Jacksonville is already a place where drinking heavily is recommended on an ordinary weekend. So.
3: Absolutely. That is <laughs> uh, yeah, what? they take it real serious
2: yeah i'll bet <laughs> i'll bet uh and i think it's a it's a good matchup this year it's like georgia trying to thwart florida's dreams it's, it's cinderella dreams um well gentlemen speaking of cinderella dreams your pittsburgh steelers are inching ever closer to the 500 mark after a victory against the miami dolphins on monday night football uh it was not necessarily uh pretty from start to finish, but the end result was, you know, got the job done. Uh, I'm going to start with you, uh, Perch. I'm going to ask, what was your take on this game? Are you going to linger on the first 20 minutes or are you going to think about the last 20 minutes? How does this go for you?
1: I mean, it's the same thing over and over and over. What's Tomlin's record whenever they're favored by 10 points? It's, not very good. And they didn't cover again. So, you know, if, if you're a degenerate gambler like some people I know, no, no names, yeah, you, know, you, you would have lost some money on that. But you have a team in full tank mode who's traded away their best players and they had you down 14 nothing. And, you know, just it came out of the gates. I mean, part of it's that Mason Rudolph is to blame. I think he was a little bit gun shy, you know, coming off of that concussion off the week after and then a bye week. You can kind of understand that. I thought the offensive game plan to start was pretty vanilla and pretty lackluster. Uh, but, I mean, the Steelers very likely could have lost that game except for three plays. And I'll, I'll talk about those three plays because they were pretty big. Down 14 nothing, they had the ball at their own five-yard line, uh, third and 11, and there was, what, I think seven minutes left in the first half very realistically facing a punt and giving the Dolphins the ball at midfield, down 14-0. And Rudolph hit that big pass to Deontay Johnson. They got 17 yards and they extended that drive and went for a field goal. If that play goes the other way, they could be down 17 or 21 to the Dolphins at half. That game could have got really ugly really quick if not for that one play. And then the Dolphins, like idiots, up 14-3 with a minute and a half left, right around midfield, led a turnover-prone quarterback, drop back and throw, and we tipped the pass and got an interception and ended up, you know, getting the ball and driving again. And then third and 20. Third and 20. They're up 14 to three. They call a timeout and come back and cover zero. Leave three wide receivers against three defensive backs. They run a quick slant and run for... 45 yards and get a touchdown at the end of the half. But wait, it was, it was
2: worse. It was worse than that. They played cover three and still got beat for the, still got beat for a touchdown. Had three, three deep guys. and still messed up that coverage anyway, but your point is well taken. Those three plays were, uh, you know, easily the difference in the game. It's just like I always say, though, every game comes down to a handful of plays, even with, even with a a historically bad team, like the dolphins. And uh, even if you have the best team in the league, it can still come down to a handful of plays. That's just, you know, that's the NFL. But yeah, you're right that those those three plays made a huge difference. Um, FC, what was your what was your take on this uh, adventure?
3: Um, momentum rules all professional sports. Um, the Steelers are flat, which is shocking for Monday Night Football. But you know what? It's not shocking if we think about it. Tomlin's teams have underperformed coming off the bye weeks before. Um, you know, uh, I would love to sit here and slam James Washington for not uh, making a play on the ball. I mean, it didn't turn out to be an interception, but the second one, but it could have been a game changer. Then he comes back and he throws a vicious block on the Johnson touchdown catch on third and 20. Buried a defender. Um,
2: By the way, did you notice, FC, which defender he buried there?
3: I actually did. I it, believe it was our boy from New Mexico State. Correct?
2: Yeah, yeah well, yeah, UTEP, but yes, uh, Nick, 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 yeah. Needham. Just, uh, Nick Needham.
3: Nick Needham. Nick Needham, there you go. Um, who actually, I still believe, uh, he's going to need work, but I think he has a future in the NFL. I mean, just yeah, yeah. what Booger McFarland would have you believe. Um. <laughs> Sorry,
2: I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh,
3: yeah, you're good. Uh, I was I thrilled with the Steelers. No, but they won. <laughs> you know what I mean. And yep. you know we had a Cam Hayward sighting. And I understand the Dolphins are garbage and they're tanking and this and that and this and that. But we won. Team won.
2: Yeah. So, well, the, the thing is, Steelers under Tomlin are uh, you know before Monday night were seventy you know seventy five percent of the time they win coming out of the bye. Seventy five percent of the time. On Monday Night Football, they win 100% of the time at home on Monday Night Football under Tomlin. So it's like, you know, uh, they don't, you say underperformed, and that's true. And I, I, as if you recall, that's kind of why I've pictured this game shaping up. A quarterback's going to struggle, especially early. And, you know, the Dolphins are a little better since Fitzpatrick's been playing, a little more competitive. And the Steelers will likely win the game, but not cover. And just feels like that's the, that's the theme. Like so people want to talk about losing the games to the bottom feeders. But I think the thing that's, that really sticks in the craw for Pittsburgh Steelers fans, or, you know, over the last few years is, is making close games out of opponents that shouldn't on paper be a close game. It's like, they really don't care about the point spread or what you're supposed to win by. They're just interested in playing their style of football that makes close games, and then they, you know, win more often than not. But but that is a you know that's a can be a really infuriating style of football to watch as a fan. Um, But uh, Perch, I I can't. I mean, neither of you guys really seem as hung up on the quarterback play as I did. But I I just uh, it it isn't it isn't just the net results of neither the net results of you know all the incompletions necessarily being the quarterback's fault or all of the late uh, touchdowns and yardage being, you know, because of what the quarterback did, but just overall in the first, particularly in the first half of the game and even bleeding over to the second half, um, he, uh, he, you know, Rudolph was just missing so many throws by such a big margin, like these in cutting routes in the intermediate range that are like yards behind the target. Um, you know, you could just see. I could, in my mind, I can picture James Washington leaping for the ball and it's, it's five yards. Back, you know where he was five yards ago. <laughs> you know uh, that to me is way more concerning than a couple of deep balls that didn't connect, or you know him him being uh, focused on only throwing short passes and so on and so forth. Because that, that that kind of thing is like a, you know, that something wrong with the clock. In other words, he's late getting. He's late making the decision. Late making the throw and, and the throw is, it makes the throws harder, makes the windows tighter, and it makes for errant, really errant looking throws, especially intermediate range, also in the deep range. You know, I, we're, I, I'm with you, Perch, that this is the time we got to see what Mason Rudolph is all about. And so I'm not like saying we should bench him or anything, but, you know, how do, those, how, how do we know that those problems are not going to be cropping up every time that he gets out of his comfort zone?
1: Well, I mean, that's part of the growing process. I would agree with you, though. I mean, I think he's got really nice touch on his deep ball. It's the intermediate stuff. You've got where Ben's been doing the best I've ever seen ever. at uh, Being dead nuts accurate, into tight windows, anticipation, timing, accuracy. Ben, I think, is one of the best you know mid-range passers I've ever seen because he's, been, he's got a good zip on the ball in such great location. Uh, so that's I think that's... The biggest thing that Rudolph's got to work on is just that intermediate accuracy. The other big problem, early in the game when the offense was stuck in the mud and Rudolph is back there holding the ball and throwing off his back foot, Juju was getting open. Deontay was getting open. He either held the ball too long or threw to the wrong man. So, again, consider it his rookie season, even though it's his second year. Consider him coming off of a long layoff and a, a pretty horrific concussion that he, he got a few weeks back. I could I could see why that was the case in the first half. It's something I think long-term he's got to work on. Um, but, I mean, isn't that the case of 90% of young quarterbacks? They struggle with the reading of the defense. They struggle with who to throw the ball to. They, they struggle with getting it out on time. I mean, a lot of these guys are supposed to be the, the really good young quarterbacks in the league – are the same thing but they're they're single one read guy you know they aren't reading the entire field they don't have that anticipation that's something that's going to come with time which is why i think it's so important for him to get 12 13 starts whatever they can get out of him this year and we'll see that growing process you know if he's not better at the end of the year than he is now then you got a problem but i i'm pretty confident he'll be he'll be better as he moves forward but the accuracy thing is something he definitely has to work on this last game, he held the ball too long and made some bad reads and didn't hit the open guy, and that was a problem, too.
2: Well, FC, throwing this to you just for your take on it, um, I'm sure the quarterback coach will, will work with him on his footwork and mechanics, right?
3: Only so much you can do at this point. <laughs> but I'm, I'm you know joking, I mean? because
2: there is no quarterback coach. That's what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, go ahead.
3: Um, Rudolph wasn't sharp. He was sharp on the deep ball. That's what he does best. Um, our passing game is Fitchner's passing game is built around ball control routes, getting the ball out of Ben's hand and that's how this offense is built around and Mason Rudolph is not a great necessarily fit for the system the way it was been put in for Ben and they're going to continue to have to find things that Rudolph does well inside that system and build a game plan around it. I'm not going to pick on Fitchner, but, you know, if we all recognize that, you know, Rudolph is <clears throat> struggling, throws some things, I think that he improved as the game went on. Um, there's a lot to work with there. And I'm hoping that because I was not impressed with Rudolph at all, on Monday night football that it was rust and he had to take the first big shot after he took, you know, a pretty nice shot in the pocket. He actually dusted himself off and was pretty decent. I mean, uh, he did make some good throws in the game.
2: I actually, I actually really admire that part of his game. I think he's a, uh, he's, you know, he, he takes a hit and pops back up like that. That's not a small thing with the quarterback. He didn't just like yeah. go into fetal position after that. Go ahead.
3: There's a ton of dog in him. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he'll, if back in the corner, he's going to come out fighting, and I like that. Um, I just think that the Steelers really want to feature that defense, and I think they want the offense to be very, they they want, if they enter games, if we can get to 24 points, we're going to win the game. And that's not necessarily the greatest thought process to have for, you know, a Mason Rudolph led team. You know, um, I think that the Steelers offense has to be more attacking. I mean, they want to run the ball, um, but we're having issues with mobility of our offensive line. I'm not going to say it's because of age. Um, There, there's several factors. Um, For some reason, Marquis Pouncey can't draw a defensive holding penalty to Saved his life. I've never seen a guy tackled by defensive lineman more attempting to get to the second level. Um, Ramon Foster was dinged. I was really impressed with Finney whenever he came in. Um, he had his struggles. He's a far better center than guard. Um, the, the, the Sewers offense as a whole has to improve. It's the play calling, the scheming, Rudolph play, the offensive line play has to improve. Vance McDonald has to improve. Um, probably the player that I would like to say that I think it's been very solid, especially in the run game. Nick that and that's a guy that I would definitely look to extend. Ideal second tight end, ideal second tight end for the Sewer system, where he's going to get usage 30 35 percent of plays. And um, I think it could be a far, you know, cheaper alternative than what say Jesse James got this year on the open market. So we we got to play and we got to scheme to what we got, and I think we have enough talent to win games. And it's just a week to week you know, Lake, and I think they're staring down the Colts and I think that they see some holes there and they think they can get a win this week. So.
2: Yeah. It feels like a little bit more even matchup though. Like, you know, going against Cincinnati, Miami is one thing, especially both primetime games. Um, it's really unfortunate the way the schedule worked out in a way that, you know, the games where you're like, you feel like, you know, you need that little extra incentive with a home primetime game. Um, they had the two worst teams on their schedule, uh, and then, you know, short week against Cleveland, which not necessarily their world beaters, but you know, that's going to be a brawl, um, coming up. So anyway, perch, uh, FC mentioned the defense, Uh, you know, it's hard to judge them just on the basis of what they did against Miami, but, uh, it feels like, you know, aside from a, a few blemishes here and there, um you know, Mark Barron, um, it feels like they're, uh, they really have something together. So I'm just wondering, like, what did you take out of that game? Even though it's the opponent is not necessarily that great in offense. Uh, but what did you take out of this game as far as the Steelers defense?
1: But yeah, they had one bad drive. Uh, they gave up that long touchdown drive. Uh, I think it was the one that made it 14 nothing. Other than that, they pretty much dominated the game. Um, you know, I think we've talked about the front seven quite a bit this year. Just you know, T.J. Watt continues to to put up a lot of pressure. Dupree has played better than he ever has before. Uh The Cam Hayward's still doing Cam Hayward things, and and those guys have been been really good. Um Bush, you know, Devin Bush, we you know, we're pretty quick to to jump on Mark Barron for being horrendous and having even worse, you know, play character where he just quits on plays. But Bush misses way too many tackles. <laughs> that touchdown play where Barron got you know, drug into the end zone or pulled off. Bush should have made that tackle on his own uh, yep. in front of him. And he got basically steamrolled by a 195-pound wide receiver. That can't happen. Um, but you know, a guy I'd want to talk about, Stephen Nelson, he's a freaking shutdown. He plays every single snap and you never see or hear from him in a game. And he, I think he's, he plays like the most snaps on defense and he's tenth in tackles, which tells me nobody's throwing the ball at him. You know, when you see Joe Hayden make four tackles in a row because his guy's open and he's tackling the catch, you don't, you're do not you not seeing that with Nelson. Nelson's been out. Like, I really liked him in college as a prospect. I thought he was pretty solid with Kansas City. Thought he'd be a decent number two here. He's been really freaking good. And Minka on the back end, you know, how many times have we seen tip balls in the past fall harmlessly to the turf? He's picking those off now. He's got such great awareness. the The miscommunication – where some guy runs wide open down the defense for a touchdown and everybody's pointing at each other. Isn't that amazing how that doesn't happen anymore and hasn't since he's been here? Just little things like that, you know, with Bush's athleticism in the middle of defense, with Minka's smarts and his athleticism and coverability, and Steven Nelson on the outside now, it's harder to throw against the Steelers, which buys the pass rushers more time, And they've got four or five guys that can collapse the pocket and get get those sacks. I think, like I said, I think they're a year away from from gelling if they can keep all these pieces together, um, from really being a a real sturdy, consistent top five defense in the league.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're don't forget, like it's only a year and a half ago we were playing Robert Golden at free safety. You know what I mean? It's like a big difference between Robert Golden, and uh, and Minka. I mean, I couldn't be any more impressed with Minkah Fitzpatrick. And you're, you know, you're dead on about Steven Nelson. It's just funny, like, you know, for that guy, guy was pretty good in Kansas City, but he had so many problems around him that I think, uh, you know, it just, it's hard to judge. It's hard to judge the player's results when they have other problems, but uh, uh, I mean, other problems around them to deal with. It can make a corner look really bad if your safety support, for instance, is terrible. Um, but Nelson as a number two, that seems like a really good role for him. So that uh, that I think is a big positive out of this whole thing. Um, FC, I'll just, I'll throw this defensive question to you, and that is, um, you know, you're starting to feel now like they should they're going to have trouble keeping it all together. I mean, like are we are already at that stage with this defense. Um, a lot of guys up uh, who are contributing a lot right now who are you know need a new contract. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that.
3: But Dupree would be the first guy that I would sign, and then I would look to probably sign Hargrave, and that's gonna be a pipe dream. He, I, I, if I was just Hargrave, i uh, sprint away from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, it's just Tua and Hayward are gonna be your rush guys, and they're gonna have two outside linebackers rushing from the edge. It's just the writing's on the wall. Um, and outside of that, I mean, Sean Davis, bye bye, um, and uh, maybe hopefully get something done with T.J. Watt. A, a, a big part of of the future is going to be the future CBA talks. If they add the 18th game, if they get the 200 million dollar salary cap, if those if those things happen, I expect that uh, the Steelers will definitely. Try to get something done with both outside guys. You know, get Dupree and Watt signed up. I mean, they are, you know, just the linchpins of this defense, especially this year. They're both young. You know, they both seem to love the city, and you know, you want as many of those types of guys on the roster as you can get. You know, the Super Bowls. Are, it doesn't take long for people to forget the Casey Hamptons, the Aaron Smiths. You know, those types of guys that you know win you championships quietly
1: yeah
2: it's true and it's like uh you know you can get overly enamored with the the edge guys and overly enamored with the you know guys that make interceptions whatever. But you're right of you know it all starts with that front um at least it feels like we're better you know two years ago we were like we don't have enough we don't have any players on defense and now it feels like we're worried about keeping them together that's an amazing i give them credit you know more better than i thought that they were doing in terms of piecing it together um, You know, it makes up it makes up for the fact that that Mark Barron has been such a disappointment. And you're right, uh, Perch, about you know I was I was watching a little clip of uh, Bill Belichick talking to his defenders about fundamentals, and he was talking about you know uh, tackling fundamentals broken down into like three steps, and it was like you know leverage, and then a certain kind of wrapping, and then you know the next guy in goes for the fumble like that. That was, but it, it's sort of like you see a guy like Devin Bush and you think, you know, if he had if he had drilled into him every day that you need to get leverage to tackle that guy, you know, the way that they do with the rugby tackle in Seattle or the way that New England teaches, he'd have had a much better chance of making that play than trying to go head up against a guy that uh, is, you know, has momentum and is uh, taller and longer than he is and is able to get his hands into Bush. You know, just felt like that was a that was a clear example of uh, somebody's fundamentals need to get worked on, but, you know, he's a, he is a rookie and uh, just like the Mason Rudolph conversation, it's like, hopefully that they, you expect them to improve, you know, over time. So I don't know, I guess that's the thing, Perch. Do you think do you see improvement in Devin Bush? I mean, it's, it sort of feels like he's had some really great moments and some really rough
1: moments, which is to be expected. I said it before, I'll say it again. It reminds me of rookie year, Ryan Shazier some of us hated some of us loved and all of us probably loved and hated equally during the same game. So, <laughs> just some of those things where you know he makes plays that he shouldn't make just due to his athleticism and and he adds a, something to the defense that you know that uh, was maybe missing but there are there are things inherent to that sort of player that are there are going to be issues and you know if you don't have good form at 5'11 230 pounds, or whatever he plays at 225 you're going to miss some tackles uh so he he does need to improve overall least, I think he's had a pretty good rookie season it, he hasn't been as great as some of the media people wanted to annoy him since he was drafted as the rookie of the year candidate he's made some really great splash plays, but he's missed some really you know his his coverage has not been great he's He's gotten beat and picked on at times, and his tackling's been shaky uh, from time to time, not not saying he's having a bad year, not saying he's having a great year he's having a little bit of both uh, i don't think that perspective gets out a lot it's just everybody's either he's all he's all great or he's all awful he's been both
2: well this is the internet it's, nothing is in the middle <laughs> it's either evil or fantastic you know it's either the, the goat or uh you know or the worst um well on that note let's let's move on for a second and talk a little bit about this week's matchup um with the indianapolis colts coming to pittsburgh Um, You know, I'm I'm sure this is going to be the hardest week uh, for Ben Roethlisberger to miss because (laughs) there's one thing he likes on the schedule. It's seeing the Indianapolis Colts come to town. Oh, my God, what a career he's had against Indianapolis. Um, So no Ben for this matchup, FC. uh, But it feels like uh, the two teams are kind of strangely evenly matched right now. So uh, to me, uh, that points to sort of an interesting game. Uh, from that standpoint, it's like, it's that all, all, through this year, the Steelers have played a bunch of teams who don't lose and are, you know, obviously better than them. And then they played a bunch of teams that have been worse than them. And this is the first time it feels like they've really played somebody that's kind of along their lines. Um, how do you see this? Where's the starting point for you when you're figuring out what you think is going to happen here?
3: Offensive line versus defensive line on both sides of the ball. Um, the Colts are far and away the most physical offensive line the stewards are going to have faced in the run game. Um, they're not excellent pass blockers, but they are very good at what they do, and that is run the ball between the tackles. Um, Anthony Costanza, their starting left tackle, is nothing special in the pass game. He's a good run blocker. Um, I was not a humongous fan of Quentin Nelson. He's a barrack. NFL player than I thought, do I think he's the best left guard in the NFL? No, but he's excellent in the run game. He has, he's very Alan faneke which a lot of people consider sacrilege. But Fannica was fantastic in the run game, and he had his problems in uh, the pass pro. Ryan Kelly's a good center. Mark Lewinsky, local kid. Um, went to West Virginia from the WPIL area. Started in Seattle. Good run blocker. Horrific pass blocker. Uh, and then Braden Smith, who I loved coming out of Auburn, played right guard, um, slid, slid out the right tackle. He's a very good run blocker and successful in the pass game. So the Steelers are going to have to eliminate the Colts' run game and force the Colts to throw the ball. On the other side of the ball, the Colts' defense is, is quick. They're sound. They're smart. They're positionally good. They're not going to give you nothing, but they're not – super athletic. I mean, Darius Leonard is a great football player, as there will. When you get past that, Justin Houston got some miles on him. Jabal Sheard is not the same player that he once was. He's a good pass rusher. Um, Marcus Hunt is athletic and tall and lanky, but if I help you, Ramon Foster, if he passes concussion protocol, which I think he should, um I, I think the year is going to have the opportunity to run the ball. Whatever team can establish their run game and continuously run the ball is going to win it. And it, I expect this to be a 1990s, 2000s style football game. The most physical, tough team is going to win.
2: Yeah, it feels like that's exactly what I'm saying. It's very even, and they're both going to try it. It feels like they're mirror images in terms of what they're going to try to do. And, and, and not and mirror images in the sense that like the Colts' strength right now, Uh, Is their offense and Steelers' strength right now is their defense and the other side of the ball has struggled for both teams. Um, So it feels like that's a, you know, that to me when I see that on paper, that makes me think it's a, you know, it's a question of who establishes the style that they want to play better than the other team does. Um, Perch Colts have not been very good this year uh, against teams who who rush the football. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if that's. You know, I mean, it doesn't really play in the Steelers' hands considering their running back situation. What's the latest that you hear in terms of what the Steelers' running back situation is? Jalen Samuels going to be 100%. Uh, James Connor going to play. What, what's the latest?
1: No, yeah. It's, I think it's the Jalen Samuels and Trey Edmonds show. I think that that they're going to have two backs this week. Maybe, just maybe Connor gets cleared game time and they use him as. Essentially the third back or, you know, just kind of an emergency sort of situation. I can't see him being a full go this week. I think uh from from what I've heard, Samuels could have played last week. They were just being cautious because they had had some depth there with Benny Snell and uh and Trey Edmonds, you know, up for number two and number three. But it's it's gonna be, you know, Jalen Samuels is due for a good game. He's averaging under three yards a carry this year, hasn't really carried the ball a whole ton. Uh, you know he missed missed the last game, so um, yeah, it's really going to come down. So I think he's definitely going to get opportunities in this game for sure. Because, like you mentioned, you know the Colts' run defense is not their strength, and the Steelers would obviously prefer to run it than pass it. But you know it's uh, how much do they trust Trey Edmunds too. I mean, they wouldn't even give him the ball at the end of the last game to salt it out with a two score lead. So. Uh, yeah, that's going to be the big story of the game, really, is can the Steelers enforce their enforce their will with, with just, you know, uh, the offensive components they have, uh, you know, with the running backs so beat up?
2: Yeah, so to me, it feels like in order to really est- – if you want to be that kind of team and establish a run game, you have really got to make teams be concerned about your pass, right? So if you can't pass at all, I don't care how good a run rushing team that you are or how good an offensive line you have – you're not going to win that battle very much because, you know, teams are going to pack it in against you and they're going to anticipate the run plays. And, you know, you have to get it blocked up perfectly just to get four or five yards out of it. So, so to me, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm concerned. I want this, I think the Steelers are going to be looking to run the football and establish a run game, but I feel like that's so much easier if you can just literally make a couple of good throws off at the beginning of the game. Even if you don't, you know, pass a lot, if they're effective, feels like teams will have to respect that very quickly. Um, so, uh, you know, that's that's a question mark to me. I mean, FC. One thing about this, uh, these, this, these two teams, feels like they're an example of why, for run game, offensive line is more valuable to you than than running backs. Both teams rely on uh, running backs that are sort of from the mid or lower tier of, uh, you know, draftable running backs each year. We always talk about that when a draft time comes that you don't necessarily need to have a first rounder to make it work. Um, Marlon Mack has been surprisingly effective. I mean, Steelers, how do you feel about the Steelers run game? I sort of feel like they a run defense rather. I sort of feel like the Steelers run defense is, uh, you know, I'm not, a, a I'm not fully on board with thinking that they're just can shut a team out running the football. That's a good running team. Um, What's your, what's your take on their run stopping?
3: Vince Williams is in the game. I am a lot more confident about the Steelers stopping the run game. So our first off formations, I formation two tight ends. I'm I'm pretty confident because Vince Williams is going to be in the game Hargrave is going to go from fifth gear down to third gear where he's going to be a little bit more gap sound instead of picking a side and just attempting the rusher passer, which which is what the Steelers are telling him to do from that position. So I'm not saying he's doing anything wrong. He still has to be gap sound, but they're saying, you know, multiple receiver sets, get upfield, attack the quarterback, you know, pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, so, uh, of course. I, I I mean, Devin Bush is, has missed some tackles. That's a concern. I know he's probably my favorite defender, but he's not the largest at Joe Hayden um, he, <laughs> against the run game. I'm not the biggest fan of Humperdew. And Micah Fitzpatrick is not the largest safety in the world. So we are a defense that's built to be fast, 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 fast. A grinding running game is a concern to me, but you can't hit what you can't catch. So if the Steelers are flying around home game, it's going to be tough for the Colts to run the football. I, I really believe that.
2: Yeah, a uh, perch. I don't know if you watched Thursday Night Football uh, last night, but it was uh, you know the most one of the more intriguing parts of the game was the matchup between tight end George Kittle for, for the Forty ers and uh, Buda Baker, the safety from the Cardinals and it just felt like that was uh, worth the price of mission alone is to see two players, uh, you know, basically you could see their whole competition of the, you know, the night play out, play out in the game results. I kind of feel that way about this game with Cam Hayward and Quentin Nelson. I feel like that's a really, really good matchup. And that I expect it to be a little more even than, uh, than one-sided. Um, wondering what you, what do you think about that matchup in particular?
1: No, I think it's one the Steelers need to win because if the Colts start grinding out first downs, running the ball, and Hayward's getting pushed around, we're going to have a very, very difficult time winning that game. So, I, yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, I think probably the strength of that Colts offense is the, the nastiness of those two guards in the run game. They're both outstanding run blockers and just nasty tough guys that hustle and finish blocks and they'll they'll take your, your will if you let them. And, you know, Hayward's not a guy that's, that's going to back down from anybody and yeah, it's, it's going to come down to if we can if we can really slow and stop that running game uh, for for the Colts. You know, Jacoby Brissett and the gang they they, I guess they have some pretty good offensive weapons too. Uh, T. Y. Hilton's still there, and they've got two good tight ends that can do some damage. But uh, I'd like our chances more if we could shut down the run for sure.
2: Yeah, well, the uh, looking on the other side of the ball, you know, what uh, I mean. Other than just trying to establish the run. FC, what do you what do you see when you look at the Colts defense? It seems like they're pretty good in pass defense. Um, How did the Steelers defeat what it is that the Colts were going to try to do?
3: Athletic plays, hustle, uh, effort. Um, I mean, the Colts are not going to be out of position. The Colts aren't going to make a ton of mental errors, and um, they're going to execute their defense. Uh, Mitchell Rudolph's going to have to make throws. Wide receivers are going to have to run good routes and walk after the catch, protect the football, make plays. It's, the, 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 the Colts aren't the 85 Bears, and they're also not the Steel Curtain and the Steelers, but they have a good, positionally sound, smart defense. In a way, they're kind of like New England defensively where you're going to earn everything. And if you're able to take something, you're going to have to take it. It's not going to be given to you. So um, it's going to be a will effort type game where if the Steelers come out and are just on fire on both sides of the ball, could they make the Colts quit? I believe so. Um, the Colts are used to being the bully. They're used to being the smarter team. And, I mean, I like the Steelers' matchups on the outside. I mean, if, if it, I, Malik Hooker is a fantastic ball athlete at free safety for the Colts. And Darius Leonard is, last year showed, he can be, showed that he can be a playmaking machine. You know, um, when you get to Kenny Moore and, you know, when you get to, you know, Pierre Dessert, who may not play this week, which puts Rocky in rookie Rocky Sin in the lineup. And they, he's had some issues this year in coverage they they moved Marvell Tell, former safety, in front of them in dime packages and nickel packages at times this year because sin is just so damn grabby, and he struggles with double moves. Um, Quincy Wilson comes in and plays a solid corner, but he's not really a foot athlete. The Steelers, I mean, Fitchner... It's all going to come down to Rudolph's accuracy. You're going to have to be able to throw the ball intermediate. You can't live on checkdowns and vertical passing. I understand that. If Rudolph's got to be sharp, the Steelers got to be, you know, they got to line up right. You can't have too many pre-snap penalties and all this dumb stuff that they have walked themselves into and be able to overcome against the Bengals and against the Dolphins. You're not going to overcome a smart defense and a physical defense like the Colts have.
2: Yeah, I get that. That's a, actually a great breakdown. Um, Perch, last word on the on the Colts uh, matchup before we move on?
1: Um, no, no last word. I think we pretty much covered it all. It's, <laughs> it's going to be, you know, I think we mentioned a couple of times, 1990s Steelers versus Titans. Just tough, physical, run the, run the ball, you know, just... Fundamental football, grinding out, nothing too fancy. You know, three point game. Whoever makes the fewer mistakes is going to win it. And it, it, both teams are going to match up pretty evenly. Either not great quarterback play, more tough than than skilled. It'll be fun to watch.
2: Yeah, if, if you're not a kind of person that's interested in fantasy fantasy points, right? But we are not. We're not about fantasy here. Uh, we were better than that, apparently. Anyway, on that note, we'll come back and we'll make our predictions for the game a little bit later. But first, it's time for our Around the League pick segment, brought to us by...
3: Sports and Shit, Dean Good Blandino, um, the other corrupt NFL officials that you hear back their referee buddies on TV, Chico's Bail Bonds, Dean Blandino, because, well, he's a lifetime freaking and to the clown, uh, Roger Goodell get the cba done and uh, i'm sure b2b has more on sports and shit.
2: Uh well sports and Spirit shit sportsandshit.com is the place to go to get your not only your steeler fury uh merchandise like t-shirts and coffee cups and dog beds um but also uh to get to you know your your occasional nfl meme or other life meme uh sportsandshit.com go there. Um also, um, I'd like to s- a special shout out for this week's sponsorship uh, to the late John Witherspoon, Pops Witherspoon, um, who we just featured. We just had him on the show like two weeks ago. Um, we're very bad omen, apparently, to have on our show. Um, he's the, uh, the, the actor best known for uh, Put the Hassat on my burrito, baby. And uh, mm-hmm. he was finger looking good. He was finger looking good as an actor. So shout out to him. Um, hey, on our, um, uh, our, our Around the League segment, I'd like to start a new thing. It's called Officiating Corner. <laughs> so I have a question for you, FC, as the fellow football official, uh, and that <laughs> is um, the propensity the last two years to suddenly, uh, when uh, an offense is not set at the snap, not, not false start, but when they're not set at the snap, that suddenly the whistle blows and the play is blown dead. Can you explain to me why a penalty that's not a penalty until the ball is snapped results in, in uh, the play being blown dead? Because that makes no sense to me.
3: I, I was going to ask you. I forgot to ask you. Um, for there to be an illegal shift, doesn't there have to be a snap of the ball? That's for, for a player not, player not to be set, don't there have to be a snap of the ball?
2: Yeah, it's by definition not a pre-snap penalty. So well, how can the play be dead? It deprives the defense of a of a, a result that's worse than the five yard penalty. Correct. So uh, anyway, why are we stopping? Why are we blowing the play dead? It because it's become a thing now. That's like I've heard the actual explanation: players were not set at the snap and they they blew the play dead. It's like it doesn't make any sense to me. So Perch, I'm gonna I- I'll throw this one to you, and that is how is it uh, in the name of player safety that hands in the face suddenly has become You know, uh, we must have 10 times as many hands to the face calls now as we did, say, five years ago on a defensive lineman or offensive lineman or a cornerback. Whenever receivers coming out and so on and so forth, they they get the hands anywhere near the face or neck area. Um, Why is that a player safety issue? But whenever a ball carrier stiff arms a guy in the face for a sustained like five seconds, that somehow that's good football. Can you explain that
1: one to me? No, but I also can't explain why offensive pass interference is being so horribly over-officiated right now either. The Deontay Johnson play, all he did was take his hands away from a guy that was holding his hands, and he got called, and that's like the second or third time, just in Steelers games this year, I've seen awful OPI calls, and don't even bother reviewing it because they refuse to change it. It's just, the officiating, they try every way they can to ruin football. They haven't been successful yet, but if they keep trying hard enough, uh, I think eventually they'll get there. I just
2: feel like it's uh, you know
1: it's their way of maintaining an ability
2: to influence the game and make it close, um, and it feels like it's all the time. I mean, just the next time you watch the New England Patriots, y- you see where the penalties are while the game is close. There's a balance of imbalance of penalties called, meaning the New England opponent will have a lot more penalties called on them while the game is close. The moment that the game isn't close anymore, you'll see a bunch of calls against New England so that by the end of the game it evens out. Um, but it's, there's like a, you know, nefarious, weird stuff going on. And I'm going to be the first to tell you that you can call me batshit crazy. I don't care. Anyway. Okay. Enough about officiating. It's bullshit. Um, let's move on to something that's clearly not bullshit and that's point spreads and picking games. Um, uh, FC, I'll start with you. Um, here's an interesting game actually, uh, because it's a division game and, uh, it's in London. It's all the weird stuff. Houston. The Houston uh, Texans, with the issues that they have, are a one and a half point favorite against the Jacksonville Jaguars in London. Um, suddenly, have a feeling that I don't really uh, believe in either of these teams. Uh, I'm wondering what your what your thoughts are.
3: Oh, well, this one's simple for me. If you go look, look at the last time Jacksonville lost in England. Jacksonville's owner, this is like number two to a Super Bowl. Don't let no one lie to you. Um, Khan is from England. His A lot of his business holdings are in England. Um, he would love to have a team, an NFL team, somehow be in London. This means the world to him. He lets the players know. He does everything absolutely first class for Jacksonville for this trip. Um, I will take the Jaguars and the point and a half.
1: How about you, Purge? What do Gardner, Minshew, and Mason Rudolph have in common? Fair question. Better quarterback ratings than Tom Brady this year. (laughs) Oh, but you didn't see that one coming. Yeah, I mean, he's done pretty well. I just think Deshaun Watson is one of the special young quarterbacks in the league. And uh, all else being equal, and I I think consider these teams otherwise pretty equal, uh, you give me Deshaun Watson and the the best wide receiver in the NFL currently, throwing the ball to each other, and that's enough to put them over the top. So I'm going to take the Texans to win it.
2: Yeah, I'm. I I don't know, man. I, I feel like uh, no JJ Watt's a big deal for a team that really relies on its defense a lot. And although Deshaun Watson is a solid quarterback, um, I don't know. I feel like uh, I like Jacksonville in the getting the points in a close game. Um, but that's a, that's an, it'll be this at, at least an interesting game to watch. Um, Kansas City is hosting Minnesota. Kansas City, I think, has lost either three or four home games in a row. Which is unbelievable for a place that used to be considered to be the number one home field advantage in football. Um, I haven't heard yet about Patrick Mahomes playing or not, but uh, let's assume that unless you've heard otherwise, that he's not. I'll start with you, Perch. Kansas City's a one and a half point favorite over Minnesota. Do you feel like the Vikings, who are hot right now, are hot enough to beat Kansas City?
1: Yeah, the Chiefs are one and three at home this year, and I believe Mahomes is out. Um, uh, Kirk Cousins is playing like an MVP candidate, legitimately, right now. I mean, if you look at his, all his numbers and what that team's doing, I think the Vikings go go in, win, cover, uh, come out with a win. I think they win by uh, more than more than a field goal, four or more points. I've got uh, Vikings winning. So bet on the Vikings. FC. I'll
3: take the Vikings as well. I mean, I just—it's a—I don't want to say a stinker game, but it's just—I don't believe in either team. I like Dalvin Cook. We'll leave that. That's the best thing about that game. We'll be Dalvin
1: Cook.
2: Yeah, I just I don't see Minnesota. You know, uh, their offense is not going to be stopped by Kansas City's defense. So, despite the fact that their defense might give up a little bit um, at home, you know, with Kansas City playing at home, uh, I just don't I don't see that happening for them. And you know, the saddest part is if Kansas City loses this game, are are we not? it's like of all the years for Ben to get hurt and be out for the season. Like even Ben, even if Ben were missing 10 weeks of the season, but he was going to come back a hundred percent at the end, you, the Steelers would have as good a chance of anybody as anybody in the whole league to, to, to compete in the postseason. So it's a, uh, it's like, you know, everything else worked out perfectly for them, except for that, you know, elbow injury. Um, let's talk for a second. Um, it's the two divisional opponents. Cleveland is a three and a half point favorite at Denver. Somehow Denver, who just barely lost to Indianapolis in Indianapolis seems to be on a little bit more of a, you know, at least media, they've at least achieved mediocrity. Cleveland hasn't done anything really against anybody. I don't understand them being a three and a half point favorite. I'll take Denver at home and the three and a half uh, throw it to you, FC. How about you? Wow.
3: I will take Denver in the points. I won't be surprised if Cleveland wins the game by a field goal and that half point is your saving grace. But no Joe Flacco, which I understand, you know, I, I'm i so I'm familiar with Brandon Allen, who's going to start a quarterback for Denver. And I don't want to say he's bad, but I'd be a lot more confident with Duck. And I know that we're, we like Duck, but you know he is our third string quarterback and oh, yeah um I'll just uh I'll stick with it and uh I'll take Denver in the points
2: I mean I feel like their quarterback play has been awful anyway so I don't know how much more awful he can be <laughs>
1: so that's a start um perch Cleveland or Denver <laughs> You just don't lose a, an elite quarterback and expect there not to be a drop-off in play. So <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Cleveland goes out there and, and runs circles all over Denver. I got Cleveland win by a touchdown.
2: An elite quarterback. I saw what you did there. Um, so, last one. New England, three-point favorite at Baltimore. Um, Baltimore rarely loses at home. Uh, Primetime game probably that you know whether you lo- are are you bullish or not on Baltimore s- still probably New England's best their toughest matchup they've had so far this year especially on the road
1: um how do you how do you see this perch this is the same Ravens team that the Browns went in and beat the shit out of in Baltimore the same Ravens team that the Steelers had dead to rights i'm not sold on the ravens i really am not i don't think their defense is any good I think if you could find a way to limit their running game, which a defensive guru like Belichick certainly will be able to, you're going to force their little running quarterback into some turnovers. Oh, give me the Patriots by 14. FC?
3: Yeah. Um, Nick Boyle. Nick Boyle. It doesn't matter what you said. It matters how Bill Belichick and the NFL media members can spin what you said. Ah, uh, Yeah, I'm going to take New England to win by probably
2: ten points, myself. I I like the Ravens in this game. I don't think the Ravens are better than New England, but at home, boy, like I, uh, I, I gotta believe that uh, you know New England is not going to win every game. This might be one of the tougher tests they have remaining, and it's still early. It's still relatively early, at least um, you know, just at the midpoint of the season. They tend to be. You know, they have one of these games like the game in Pittsburgh last year um, where it doesn't all go according to plan. And you know in true Belichick fashion, if, if, if you're perceived as a team that you might that they might see in the postseason, I think they they don't show all their cards at this point of the season. And there's not really any reason for them to. I think they're pretty much uh, could coast into the number one seed in home field advantage. So I don't, I don't think there's a sense of urgency with New England, whereas Baltimore, I think that's a big test for them. And for one night, maybe they'll be good enough. So I'll take Baltimore to win outright. Um, all right, gentlemen, that brings us around to our, uh, our five-star matchup with our backup quarterbacks, the Indianapolis Colts. Come to Pittsburgh to play your Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers a chance to go to 500. I'll start with you, FC. What's good?
3: I got. Good news, and I got bad news. Bad news, James Conner didn't practice today, basically ruled out. D.Y. Hilton did not practice today, basically has been ruled out. Taking that all into account, I don't think the Colts are going to be able to back the Steelers out of the box with any wide receiver. My only concerns would be if Eric Ebron was even close to healthy, which he's not. I think you're going to see a lot more man coverage from the Steelers. I think you're going to see probably every bit as much blitzing. God, I hope the Steelers' inside linebackers hold off. I'm going to pick the Pittsburgh Steelers to win this game 23-17.
1: Perch, how about you? Oh boy, he almost convinced me to change my pick, but I'm going to stick with what I thought before. I just, I just think it's going to be a very tight, loosely contested game. I just think the Colts have just a little bit more on offense. So I'm taking Colts 23, Steelers 20.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, sort of in between you guys. I feel like the Steelers' defense is a little – is a really good matcher for an Indy's offense, meaning those two cancel each other out, I think. So then it's a question of, you know, can there be enough plays made uh, off uh, their defense that's underperforming and our offense that's middling? Um, No James Conner hurts what they would like to try to do I think um, so I expect a low scoring game for sure but a um, thing we didn't talk about because we never talk about it but i'll 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 break the jinx by saying it's a jinx that way it won't be a jinx um, and that is uh, special teams uh, India has been horrendous on special teams and despite the Steelers problems uh, in their return game of special teams especially kickoff return which has been near the bottom of the league for a couple of years running now um, Vinatieri looks like his career is over. I mean, I, maybe he can rebound from this, but it's not just that he's missing field goals that he didn't doesn't ordinarily miss, including short ones. It's he, every swing looked weird and different, and like when you're struggling with your putter or your golf swing, um, it just felt like he he kind of has no idea what's happening with his mechanics right now, um, and that is a is an issue in a close game that'll be a grinded out kind of a game. Um, Steelers, you know, bend and bend and don't break kind of defense. Steelers don't score very much in the red zone. Touchdowns right now, so to me that means it's a you know heavy field goal game. And right now, subject to change, you know, one fifteen on Sunday afternoon. Um, right now, I I think this there's actually a pretty good advantage for the Steelers uh, coming into this game. So I will make it twenty seventeen Steelers um, and and just hope that in a close game, uh, our young quarterback can figure out a way to make some more plays like he did last week. And the Steelers walk away with a victory 20 to 17, uh, last word. I'll send it to you perch.
1: Well, you know, if you're going to have any sort of a chance of going above 500 or possibly a wild card or possibly getting back in the division race, these are the games you have to win, you know, three in a row at home, another mid-level team in the AFC, you kind of have to win these ones. So So far, the Steelers have beaten all the bad teams and they've lost all the good teams. This is the first, you know, I I would consider more of an average or or mid-level team. And and let's see if they can win.
2: FC, how about you?
3: It's going to be a test uh, for this franchise. Um, They beat some bums. Now you, you know, you got a a good NFL team. This will tell the story of the season. I really believe that. If they win this game, I'm going to Cause I expect new England's going to beat Baltimore that happens. We're right back in the race.
2: Yeah. My last word. uh, I mean, first of all, heartily endorse that. It's a, it's a definitely a a litmus test kind of game for the Steelers this season. Um, I, my final word is going to be, don't forget this weekend uh, before Sunday's game, we turn back the clock. And, uh, you know, if you're not a Steelers fan, turn back the clock an hour. If you're a Steelers fan, turn back the clock to 1993, because that's the way we're going to try to win the rest of this season is cow ball. So why not turn the clock back to 1993 uh, with that defense and that uh, emphasis on the run to cover up for a quarterback that isn't that great? And maybe, you know, maybe you get Bubby Brister, but maybe you get Neil O'Donnell out of it, you know? So... Let us let us hope for at least that good moving forward, gentlemen. Thank you for an excellent show, listeners. Thank you for listening, uh, sponsors. Thank you for sponsoring, and gentlemen. Let's talk after next week's uh, after Sunday's excellent Steelers victory. Go get them, Steelers. Uh, yeah.